Hello to our freaky family. I'm Michelle. And I'm Candy. And this is Sips of Crime. Welcome. Welcome to our first podcast. You found us. What are we drinking? We have a buttercream Chardonnay from California. It is a very buttery Chardonnay. I usually don't like Chardonnays. But we like buttery Chardonnays. Yes, this one is delicious. And it's actually from your wedding, isn't it? Yes, and that is one reason I got it, to see if it still tasted like that day. And it does. (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get that open. Cheers. It's just as good. Yep, definitely just as good. Just as good. All right, so for episode one, we are going to be covering the Lawson family murders from 1929. So grab a glass. Grab a friend. And let's dive in. So Augustus and Nancy Lawson gave birth to Charles Davis Lawson, or Charlie, on May 10th. 1886 in Lawsonville, North Carolina, which is located in Stokes County, about 10 miles away from Danbury. There isn't much known about uh, his childhood, but in 1911, he married Fanny Manring, and I would just like to point out that I think that the name Fanny is adorable. It is cute. So cute. I mean, I don't think anybody would care for it today. Probably not today. But it is cute. It's adorable. For 1929. For 1929. Um, They had eight children. Uh, Marie was 17. Arthur was age 16. William, who actually passed away in um, 1920 when he was sick from pneumonia, he was six. Uh, Carrie, age 12. Maybell was seven. James was four. Raymond was two. And Mary Lou was three months and nine days old. Could you imagine having eight children? Heck no. No. Heck no. No. I could not. Have one. Um, there's been some speculation that Mary Lou was actually four months old, but um, I actually have a copy of her death certificate here um, that I found, and it states that she was exactly three months and nine, uh, 29 days old. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, we will post all of the photographs that we're referencing on our Instagram, so um, they will be posted by the time this episode launches, so uh, go ahead and you can swing on over there to, uh, to follow along with us if you want. So in 1918, following the move of his younger brothers, Marion and Elijah, he moved the family to Germington, North Carolina, and by 1927 had saved up enough money to buy their own 200-year-old farmhouse on Brook Cove Road, where they sharecropped tobacco. The family was well-liked in the community. Uh, They weren't what they considered rich by any means, but they weren't dirt poor either. Um, Just a regular working class family. And in the evenings, the family would work together uh, renovating the home. Um, Unfortunately, one day while Charles was removing some rotten timbers and digging a ditch on the property, he accidentally struck himself in the head with an axe. Um, Charles already had a bit of a temper because, I mean, let's face it, he had, you know, seven children and he was a southern farmer back in 1920s. Um, I mean, I'm a mom in 2022 and I have a temper. So, understandable. But people did say uh, that neighbors and family members report that uh, after this head injury, they did see a change in his personality. So a few weeks before our story really begins, 
Charles loaded his family up and took them to Winston-Salem, where he bought them new clothes, and they went on a bit of a shopping spree. Um, anything that they wanted, they could have. Uh, this was extremely abnormal for Charles uh, to be spending money like this, but stated that it was all part of a, quote, Christmas surprise, unquote. He told his family to don all of their new clothes and actually had them sit for a local photographer to have a family photo taken. Back in 1929, those kind of things were considered extravagant yeah. for their lifestyle because they were considered like a poor farmer, not right. I, and rich farmer. I mean, any I mean, photographs back in the day anyway were very expensive. But I mean, it was not something that everybody like some people back in this time frame had never even had their photo taken for That's that crazy. reason. Yeah, which is insane. Um, and also, I would like to point out this photo creeps me out in general. <laughs> I mean, like, so this is um, Arthur. There's no smile. Nobody is smiling. Um, the dad's kind of like looking off. Um, I don't know. And like I said, the, nobody looks happy. Um, just not not the picture of what I would think of as a happy family. Right. right. So on a cold and snowy Christmas morning in 1929, when six to eight inches of snow had fell, Marie and Fanny woke up early to bake a cake for the family to have with their Christmas dinner. And Arthur and his father, Charles, went off for their traditional hunting trip. Um, they did this every Christmas. It was very normal for them to do so. Um, I believe they were hunting rabbits, I think yes. you said. Yeah. Now, during this hunting trip, the men actually ran out of ammunition, and he sent Arthur into town to get some more. We are soon going to find out that this was actually a lie. Charles had most certainly not ran out of any ammunition. Had plenty of that. Back at the Lawson house, Marie was finishing up in the kitchen. Um, she had gotten her cake iced, and Fanny was on the porch peeling potatoes when the two younger girls, Carrie and Maybelle, decided to go visit their aunt and uncle, who just lived right down the road, um, to wish them a happy Christmas. Unfortunately, as they set out and approached the barn, their father, Charles, was waiting for them and shot both of his daughters with his 12-gauge shotgun and then proceeded to bludgeon them both with the... Um, with the end of a, like, with a hoe handle. Yeah. What you would use on the farm. Um, he then placed their bodies inside the barn and made his way up to the house. He then found his wife, Fanny, on the porch and shot her as well, which alerted Marie and the two younger boys, Raymond and James, who actually went to hide from their father. I couldn't imagine. It's just heartbreaking to know that, like, the man that's raised you is now... That you look up to. Exactly. Is going on this rampage, and they, they probably are confused. They don't know what's going on, but it, that's just a really sad point to the story. As he entered the home, he shot Marie, who fell in front of the fireplace, and then found the two youngest boys in their hiding spot and killed them as well. He then went to his three-month-old baby girl, Mary Lou, who was still in her crib and beat her to death with the end of his shotgun. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's also speculation as to who actually found the family that day. Several reports state that it was his brother. Other people say that it was a, a friend that lived down the road who frequently visited Fanny. Charles's brother, Elijah, Elijah, and his sons had actually been on a hunting trip that day and decided to stop by to wish the family a Merry Christmas and found the murdered family. They alerted police, and then police actually took Arthur back to his house from town. Um, when the family was found, they all had their arms crossed over their chests and rocks under their head, and Charles was nowhere to be found. While the police and Arthur are trying to piece together like what happened, they hear a gunshot ring out um, from the woods. When 
They go to investigate. They find Charles, who had shot himself, and a deep path was made in the snow, circling a nearby tree, indicating that he had um, been pacing for several hours before he took his own life. Apparently, I seen an article where Charlie's nephew, Claude Lawson, was there the day of the murders. He talked about the events in an interview at ni- in 1991 before he passed away in 1993. Mm-hmm. And he said whenever he went there, quote, some of them were laying in the house, dead, blood running ever which way. He killed them all in the house, but the two girls, of course, Carrie and Maybell, he shot them in the barn, like we had said. And he also stated that he had two little beagle dogs, Sam and Queen, and they were laying beside of Charles when he shot himself. In the woods. Yep. And Claude describes, because he was there that day, of Charlie shooting himself. And he said he shot himself over in the woods. He carried a stick. I don't know if it was like a walking stick. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It didn't explain. And then he turned the gun right towards himself, toward his heart, and shot himself right in the heart. There were two unfinished letters, both addressed to his parents, um, that were found on the body. And that uh, read, no one to blame but. And then the other reading, troubles can cause. The case attracted national attention, having an article in the New York Times and over 5,000 people attended the funeral. Um, And I actually saw the article in the New York Times that said 5,000 people. Like, that is a lot. Yes. A lot. Um, The new clothes Charles bought... His family, from the photograph, is actually what they were buried in. That's so sad. Yeah, really sad. Um, And uh, this is actually a picture from the um, funeral. I mean, you can see how many people are there. But the reason that there is one less um, casket is because Mary Lou was actually buried in her mother's arms. That's just so sad. It is really sad. Now, the question I'm sure everyone is asking is why an average hardworking man like Charles with a wife and seven kids just decided to snap one day and murder his entire family. There are several theories, one being that the head injury he sustained uh, messed with his mental status. However, his autopsy and an analysis of his brain, which was conducted by John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, showed no abnormalities. And there are some articles that state um, his brain was relatively small. For in um in the center of his brain seemed underdeveloped. Whether that's true or not, you know. Right. Interesting so. though. In nineteen ninety, a book called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas by M. Bruce Jones and Trudy J. Smith claimed that an incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter Marie was the cause for the murders. Uh, Several family members had also stated that they overheard funeral attendees discussing how Fanny had confided in them about this relationship and was, like, just sick over it, which, I mean, who wouldn't be? Mm -hmm. Um, And then another book called The Meaning of Our Tears, published by the same author in 2006, stated that Marie had spoken to one of her friends named Ella May during a sleepover about the relationship. And I don't want to even call this a relationship. I don't like calling that a relationship because that's disgusting, first and foremost. Revealing to her that she was actually pregnant with her father's child. I don't even have words. Yeah, there I are. kind of stuttered. Like, I could not. I know it happens, and I know it's out there, but I literally could not imagine having 
this secret or even that my parents somewhat know right that it's happened and didn't and do anything yes and yeah. um i did read something so fanny confided in some family that um she had been concerned of the relationship and jetty lawson who died in early 1928 which i'm thinking was charles's sisters and his mom oh oh, okay yeah um because the article had said um stella lawson who was a relative who had been interviewed for the book that you had mentioned Mm -hmm. um stated she had overheard fanny's sister-in-law and aunts and stella's mother jetty lawson discussing how fanny confided in them and she had been concerned of the relationship between charlie and marie but jetty died in early 20 1928 Meaning, Fanny had been suspicious of the incest at least that long before the murder. So, so almost still, a year. At least a year. Yeah. And, at least. And obviously didn't do anything about it. You're actually going to find, I think, that unfortunately, I mean, we don't, we say that it happens, you know, yeah, it happens. But, like, you're going to find that a lot of these people that we cover are molested in one way or another right. I mean, and they are sick individuals yeah so that's going to come up a lot in future episodes um it doesn't make it okay it doesn't make it right of course but and back then you know they didn't do autopsies like they do now right so there was not even an autopsy done on um marie's body to initiate that she was pregnant yeah to confirm so... or to disconfirm disconfirm a word <laughs> To con- <laughs> is disconfirm a word to confirm that she was pregnant i wonder why they did one on him then i mean i guess it's be I-, I guess because he was the family annihilator i mean i guess they didn't feel like they needed to do an autopsy on a girl who was well and shot i guess because nobody knew then because right. that didn't come out till what um when the book was published so the first book was published in 1990 and the second one was 2006 yep so however many, I'm bad at math, but, you know, from 1929, when he killed everybody, and then the book was published in mm-hmm. 1990, that's a long time. Yeah, you know, And then, they had already done everything, taken care of everything, so mm-hmm. if they were shot and bludgeoned to death, then that's how they probably assumed they died, right. and there was no reason to do an autopsy. Yeah, good point. A lot of people also speculate as to why Arthur was spared. Um, People speculate that he was probably the only member of the family who could have stopped his father. If you look back at the photo, it's pretty apparent Arthur is a much larger man than his dad Mm -hmm. was. And um, they, I mean, he was a hunter. He was a good shot. So he definitely could have defended his family if he had been there. Right. Um, Some people also think it was because he was, you know, just the tale is oldest time. He's the oldest boy and could carry on the family name. Um, unfortunately, Arthur was killed in a car accident in 1945 at the age of 32 in Walnut Cove, and he left behind a wife and four children. Um, he never spoke about the murders. Never talked to anybody about him. I, he probably didn't want to. No, I, I, I mean, can you, like, survivor's guilt as well, right. like, wondering, like, why was I the only one? Um, and I'm sure plenty of people probably poked and prodded wanting information. All his life. And... Yeah, that, um, I I mean, with all of the, you know, research, I mean, you know, just like you had said earlier, like, 
Jetty had told this person, this person had heard it from this person. Like, right. it was just a lot of speculation. And so, like, I mean, to be able to, to know, you know, doing that research, I, I bet people never left and him I alone. And I think after Arthur passed away, I'm pretty sure his wife moved to California. Just oh, did to she? get out of everything that had happened. Yeah, like she just had to get away. Yeah, being married to him and stuff like that. Mm. Um, he was actually buried next to his family in the same... Um, not the same plot, but the same. And something something that I found was really interesting. His tombstone is wrong. Wrong. Yeah, the dates on it are wrong. Like his birthday and the the death year day? the year that he was born and the year that he died are incorrect. How do you get that wrong? I know, like you had one job, <laughs> and if you're going to make tombstones for people, and, and those aren't cheap. It's sad though because the. Grave site is in Brook Cove, mm-hmm. and I've actually been to it. Oh, really? It's, That's cool. I didn't. I didn't know that. It's a mass grave, mm-hmm. like the ones that died. Um, they're in a huge mass grave, mm-hmm. and the tombstone actually reads, "Not now, but in the coming years, it will be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears, and then sometime we'll understand." Hmm. Interesting. I wonder who was the one because I mean somebody has to take care of that right you know so like I wonder who like was it a family member right new information something was gonna happen yeah it's very telling there or yeah but and it's a very very small little gravesite or I mean yeah they're all buried on one in one plot yes but like even the graves around it Mm -hmm. they're all immediate family or it's a very small could probably your house is probably bigger than the little gravesite. Wow. And um, you wouldn't know where it's at unless mm-hmm. you've been to it. Mm-hmm. You would have to know it's there. Right. But um, like speculators just couldn't go and like. No. Yeah. Um, I think I read something somewhere as well that the Browder family um, actually were like close with the Lawsons and mm-hmm. donated the plot to yes. them. Because I think there's some Browders. Don't quote me on this. But I think there might have been a few Browders that were buried around there. Not just all Lawsons, but don't quote me on that. Because right. I haven't been there in like 15 years. <laughs> really That's long, a long time. time. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say 15. Maybe let's knock that down to like 10. Are we telling your ages now? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Let, let's knock that down to like 10. That sounds more accurate. Yeah. So a few more interesting facts about this case before we wrap up. Um is that after the murders, Charles's brother, Marion, saw this as a bit of an opportunity. He actually turned the house into an, a tourist attraction. Um, and let me, just state, let me just state here that crime scenes were not cleaned up the same way that they are now. Um, and so, like, people, thousands of people flocked to this house. Bloody floors and all. Like, it was just left there where it stood in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually charged uh, 25 cents per person, which would be about $5 today. Now, Marie's cake was still sitting on the kitchen counter, untouched, obviously uneaten. Um, and these people started actually taking the raisins off of the cake as like souvenirs. That's gross. It is gross. I can only imagine how pet- how putrefied that cake probably was right, at this point. There. It just sat there. And so they, they ended up having to put the cake in glass to keep people from picking at it. But Which, you would think it would mold. You would think so. People say that it was actually really well-preserved, though. Um, 
Yeah. So it sat there um, in in, the, in its glass case, and um, somebody eventually, one of the family members, eventually took it home and buried it. Uh, why buried it was the cake? they buried the cake? Why they buried the cake? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Again, maybe symbolic, something symbolic about that. I don't know. I also found an article in the Stokes News called 90 Years Gone, which was published in 2019, written by Neil Caldwell, which had a statement from a close family. Again, this is from this person to this person to this person. A close family friend's grandchild (laughs) that the cake was actually given to Arthur after the tourists had stopped. And after his death, the cake was found in in a drawer. In a drawer. Yeah. So, so either. Either way. Okay. This has got to be a really, really moldy cake <laughs> by now. I can only imagine. Yeah. So it was either buried, which is weird, or it was found in a drawer. That's weirder. Which is weirder. Yeah. To me, that is weirder. And if it was in the drawer, that is mold. And yeah, you had to have some bugs or something. Something. Some animals I mean, come it on. Gross. It is gross. Eventually, the house was demolished. Several folk songs had been written about the murders. These types of songs are called murder ballads, okay. which is troubling all on its own. Um, but one of the um, one of them was written by the Stanley Brothers, which was written in 1956, and it was picked up by Columbian Records. And uh, people used to sing these kid the, these songs to their kids, like as nursery runs. Yeah, let me oh, just wow. read you some of the lyrics. He says he killed his wife at first while the little ones did cry. Papa, please spare us. It is so hard to die. How you gonna sing that to your kid? That's awful. It is awful. But that should not be a nursery rhyme. That should not be any type of a nursery rhyme. Shouldn't be a song. Shouldn't be a song, but a lot of people have reported ghost sightings, of course, of the murdered children. And they say that when snow falls, it falls on everyone's grave except for Charles Lawson's. That's interesting and creepy at the same time. Spooky, spooky. Hmm. Yeah. We might have to test that theory. Have to go there one time whenever it snows. We should have went there when it snowed recently. <sighs> Would have been a good opportunity. So that is the Lawson family murders. So two of our freaky family members sent in a story, and the story is sent in from Stacy about her husband, Tom. Yeah, and she actually said that um, when our first episode goes live, it's going to be his birthday. So, happy happy birthday, birthday, Tom! Yeah. So, Stacy says, A few years back, I decided I wanted to do something positive for my community. I thought about what to do, and I decided that there was no better act of service than to donate blood to someone who needs it. Kudos to you guys, because let me just say that I cannot donate blood. I can't do it. Like you don't weigh enough or you just... I wish that I didn't weigh enough, but that's actually not the case at all. I just, it makes me, when I was pregnant, they took like a lot of blood while I was pregnant and I, I was sitting here and I'm like, I need that. Can you give that back? Like, why are you... So did you pass out? No, I've never, (laughs) I've never passed out, but it just makes me really, I don't know. And which is, which is weird that we're doing like a true crime podcast, but like, I can't, I don't know. It's just weird. I don't like the Like the idea. needle part or just the whole blood part? Well, I mean, I can get shots. I got tattoos and I hate Yeah, I, I have tattoos. That wasn't a problem for me. Um, oh, I can do tattoos all day, but don't give me no shot. Don't take my blood. I'm good. <laughs> I don't like the blood being drawn. I don't like the idea of it. I can't look it. at it. Yeah, that's my thing. I can't watch it. If I see it. the blood, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going out. Yeah, that's me. So kudos to you guys because I, I, I cannot do that. And I think it's awesome that you guys are giving back to the community for sure. 
She says, my experience was very positive, calming, and even relaxing to an extent. I felt so great afterwards that I told my husband all about it when I got home. He was so impressed with the whole process that he decided he wanted to donate as well. This surprised me because my husband is quite accident prone and gets queasy around even the smallest amount of blood. Same, Tom. Same. But I said, awesome. So I set up an appointment for the both of us. The day of, we went and got a nice lunch, made sure to drink plenty of water, and tried to relax for the most part. Now that sounds like a great date night. Yeah. (laughs) I kept a close eye on him during the day, looking for signs of his nerves getting the best of him. He seemed totally fine. The time has come. We arrive at the facility, and we are welcomed inside. We signed all the forms and took some quick tests before we began. Everything is going great. Just like before, I'm relaxed, and before I know it, I was finished. Oh, so finished. Stacey's giving blood again. They're both giving blood this time, okay, yeah. Okay, nice. Yep, they're doing it together. Everything is going great, just like before. I'm relaxed, and before I know it, I'm finished. I grab a snack and a juice and come back to sit beside my husband while he's finishing up. He seems fine. I literally turn around to make sure the chair was behind me to sit down, and I heard the loudest choking, snoring sound I've ever heard in my life. I turn around, and his eyes were rolled back into his head, and he was completely unconscious. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stacy. Before I even realize what's going on, nurses come from all corners of the room and start elevating his legs while yelling his name, trying to wake him up. He wasn't waking up. Oh, my gosh. And his face was completely white, like a sheet of paper. I'm in total shock at this point, seeing my husband unresponsive sitting in this chair. It was the scariest moment of my life. I bet, like to say the least. After what seemed like an eternity to me, he finally regains consciousness. And to my surprise, he felt like he was asleep for hours. Ah! I mean, I guess that's better than freaking out. Like waking up and freaking out like, oh God. Like what just happened? (laughs) They made him sit in his chair with some snacks until he felt well enough to head home. Needless to say, the blood donor register no longer has his name on it. (laughs) What a good story. That was hilarious. I mean, not it's not funny that, you know, you lost consciousness while giving it's blood. It's not, but it's a very funny story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you're no longer able to <laughs> donate blood. Not going to do that again. <laughs> Tom, we are so glad you're still alive, and we hope you have a fantastic birthday. You can join our freaky little family, both on Instagram and Facebook, at Sips of Crime. For a chance to have your story featured on one of our future episodes, send us a Gmail to sipsofcrime at gmail.com and you can find all of our episodes on any platform that you get your podcasts thanks for listening stay alive Mm -hmm.